Hi, my name is Tom Bryant, and welcome to my Men in Mind podcast. My guest today is Matt Willis, who burst onto the scene in 2002 as part of the pop-punk band Busted, with friends Charlie Simpson and James Bourne. He was just a teenager when the band enjoyed enormous success, travelling the world and very much living the life of a rock star, selling more than 5 million records in the process. 20 years on, the Busted bandwagon shows no sign of slowing down, with the band selling out a massive UK arena tour, but beneath all that success, Matt has been really open and honest about a battle with drugs and alcohol that saw him enter rehab for the first time aged just 21. It was a subject matter he explores not only in his own podcast On The Mend, but also in his BBC documentary, Matt Willis Fighting Addiction, which if you haven't seen, I urge you to do so. It documents not only his own struggles, but also how his addiction affected his wife Emma, who has carved her own hugely successful career presenting shows such as Big Brother and The Voice. It's really powerful stuff, so I was delighted when he agreed to chat to me for the podcast, and he was as open and honest with me as he came across on screen. Just to let everyone know, in this chat, we discuss details around drug and alcohol addiction, which some people may find difficult. For anyone who needs some support, go to mind.org.uk. I began our chat asking Matt if it was difficult to get his wife Emma to agree to take part. I was going to ask yeah. you how much convincing it sort of took. It's quite a lot. Yeah. Quite a lot. She really wasn't really up for it, you know. Not that she wasn't up for it. She 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 loved that I was doing it and she she knows how passionate I am about it and how much I spend a lot of my life researching and looking into this. So she was really excited that I was doing something with all that kind of energy and she was, just wanted it to be my thing. And I said, but in the end, I kind of had to sit down with her and I, and I was like, you, your part in this is so integral that I think that you're going you're gonna to say things that people will really understand what that is a lot more if you, you know, and which was, which was difficult because we hadn't really talked about that stuff enough, you know. So it was, um, it was like, I want to bring you in. And also, <laughs> we're talking about some stuff that we haven't really talked about before, you know, openly on camera, you know, and that took a bit of a while. But then we, um, uh, I think the result was, was was amazing and I, I mean we learned a lot from it as a couple we kind of we talked about things we'd never talked about and we're we're dramatically stronger because of it you know it kind of just shows that kind of talking and kind of opening up really does help you know that's really interesting that you are mm. you are stronger you got sort of got that impression from watching it actually mm. you can always see the sort of weariness etched on etched on her face when yeah she, when we're going through this process yeah and i thought that first opening scene where she's found she's finds her diary yeah um, in 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 the in the drawer and it details some of your drinking i mean that was yeah. extraordinarily powerful i've never seen that either you know and that was like a snapshot of a few days you know like so that was years long that diary you know it's just like and um yeah i mean she told me that she wrote that but i'd never thought about it since or never seen it and i think that was a really powerful moment to kind of like to show that it's not because she'd said once um, that she kind of she kind of felt like people were thinking, "Oh, he's just a record pop star." And she said, "It's so much more than that, you know." And I think that really kind of shined a light on that of what that is to live with, you know, what that is to to love somebody and see them kind of destroying themselves and everything, you know. It was kind of um, yeah. I think that was a really and, and to put it at the top of the film was a really good move i think it kind of just brought it straight in 
totally. Yeah. It, was inc- it was incredibly Im- impactful. Yeah. Um, and what struck me actually, obviously, I, there's so many celebrity fronted documentaries out yeah. there and stuff, which are mm. you know they you never really get under the skin of a subject. They're all slightly sugar coated. Yeah. But this one was brutal in its honesty. Yeah. And was it difficult, sort of putting some of that information out there in the public domain um, to grasp? Well, I think for me, I made a decision that I, I, I really wanted to, you know, because I was like, everything that's been beneficial in my life has come from telling me, someone telling me something and me resonating or me understanding myself a little bit more through them, you know, and that, that being a two way street, you know, like I talk to other people about my story and they get something from that. And I get something from remembering that and reminding myself who I am or who I could be, you know, if I slip, you know, like, so it's a, it's a two way street. And then, and, um, I, I, for years, I kind of shied away from that because every time I, I did it, every time I went near that or talked about it, it kind of became some big scandalous headline that was taken out of proportion. I was like, that's, uh, it became almost glamorizing. And I, that's one thing I didn't want to do with the, with the doc. I was like, I, I can't be, and luckily, two four were amazing, and Hannah Lowe's, who was the director, was the most perfect person for it because she just got it, and she got me, and we we talked loads about what we wanted to do, and like how I didn't want anything to be glamorized or a sob story. So it kind of has to, which is really hard to fall in the middle of that, you know. And and the way you fall in the middle of that is that you just tell everything and you tell the real story and from multiple angles, and you can see that it's not, you know, it's yeah, I had a really different life to a lot of people that they couldn't necessarily connect with on the the level of job that I did. But the, the root of the problem is the same as the person that I speak to on a daily basis who's struggling. You know, it's the same story. It's the same struggle, you know, and I think that was what was, um, what was important for me for the film. You know? So it was, it was filmed over seven months? About seven months, yeah, yeah. What was it like at the end of the day when the camera stopped rolling? It must have been quite difficult to sort of, was it difficult to process all the things that you were you were sort of discovering about yourself again. In some ways, I mean, I, I had therapy through that. You know, I had a therapist through that. I was talking to them kind of during the filming process, and um, which helped a lot. You know, but I didn't do as much of it as I should have really. I think you really? know, but um, but whenever I talked to them, I was like, oh, so I just <laughs> let loose at this poor woman. <laughs> you know, but she was amazing, and um, you know, it was uh, it was it was, I th- I think for. For me, what was what was worrying was, was, you know, things were going okay, you know, like that. No, that I, I didn't want to rock the boat, you know. It's like Pandora's box, you know. You don't open it, and that's what it was like for me and Emma. It's like um, she she didn't want to go there in some ways because she was worried that if it did, it might cause something that would, you know, ruin our relationship or go back there, you know. When in fact, it just healed those moments which we necessarily were ignoring. You know, so it's um, and that's what I find with 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 kind of looking at stuff more is that I'm 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 so inquisitive into why I behave the way I behave now, and I'm not not shy of it anymore. I'm like everything in some ways is me processing something differently than it should be. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it's me. Um, it's something's happened. I've built something around it that is not necessarily helping me anymore, but it did at the time. And I've, I've, I've done, uh, something's happened. I've built some kind of protection around it, which served me for that 
moment. And then I've unfortunately never let that protection go. And so now it's causing me problems because I can't get out of that protective circle. Do you know what I mean? And it's um, um, not a very good analogy, but um, that, that, and um, I'm finding looking into that more and kind of finding these things, finding these triggers, finding out why I behave the way I behave, you know, is, is only beneficial. And I'm able to let some of them go, which is amazing. Not all of them. I still hold on to some, you know, and, and, and not purposely, but. Yeah. yeah. So you have really sort of analytical um, brain in some respects in terms of trying to understand these issues more. Is this something you've been exploring in therapy? It sounds like these are sort of, yeah, well, I mean, I, mean, I, I did a bit, I, I did, I did a lot of therapy like years ago because I just wanted to stop using drugs, you know, and everything was just about stopping drinking, stopping using drugs. All therapy was just me, me um, apologizing for taking drugs and trying not to, just trying to stay clean, you know, and, and I did lots of sessions where I just lied and, and told the therapist what I thought they wanted me to say because I just wanted to get a pat on the back and told I wasn't going to use today. I could go home safe. Yeah. You know, that's why I treated it like for a long time. There was that you great know. line in the documentary about how you were almost like blagging your way through it all. Because I thought it was very Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I was paying to lie to people, you know, for, for no benefit really. But I felt like I was getting something from it because I felt like they thought I was doing good and I could walk away happy, you know. But in fact, I wasn't ever getting to the root of the problem. And I've done a lot of that in therapy, but I've done a lot of that on my own. You know, like um, like I, I write loads of stuff down. Like I write, I, I, I write all the time and I find that's really helpful for me because I can actually look at it then and I can be really brutally honest and truthful and say, this is this, is this. what is that? You know, and then when you see it, you're like, oh, that's, that's, that's no longer the truth. Do you know what I mean? Like that's kind of like, that's, that I have these ways of thinking about it. I'm like, when something's happening, when I'm triggered or when I'm acting a certain way, I can now take a little bit of a step back and go, is that a fact or is that a thought? You know, and it's normally a thought, you know, and I'm like, right, where's that thought come from? I can kind of trace that back, which is a bit laborious and boring. And I wish I could just go, oh, it's just silly. Don't, don't worry about it. But I can't. I can hold on to these things. and I need I can to work backwards. I need to work backwards, yeah. What are those triggers now? Can you, can you identify what they are? <clears throat> um, I mean, I have a real kind of rejection issue. Like, um, like that's kind of something that keeps coming up for me. Like, you know, anytime I feel kind of like bullied or, or rejected or, or picked on that can really, and it can be something which is not meant to be that, like I'm not really getting bullied or picked on, you know, but I can take it that way and it can trigger me in a way that made me will act like an absolute dick for days, you know, and then I have to kind of go, what is that? Right. Okay. That's because I felt less than I felt bullied. I felt, you know, I felt, you know, ashamed, you know, of being me. I wasn't expecting you to say that. Really? No. Yeah. I mean, where did this, where, how, what situations are you in? Can you give me an example? Why? For this uh, I think it's any time I'm not listened to, you know, like I'm not very, I'm not confrontational, you know, which is something which I used to be, but I, I, I used to be quite aggressively confrontational, you know, but, but only because I wanted my point to be right and I'd fight the wrong point for no reason, you know, but whereas now it's if I'm not, if I don't feel, I, I mean, I can't really think of an example right now, but if I'm not, if I, if I feel, um, it's all from l low self-worth, I think, you know, like, and if I feel that, um, I don't like to feel that anymore. And I've had that voice for a long time kind of, 
ruining everything for me. So I'm I'm not fond of that anymore. And whenever I do, I react badly to it, and I um and I can I can spiral. So I kind of very quickly have to check myself. You know, I mean, this podcast mm-hmm. we're doing this podcast with the charity Mind. It's yeah, it's a, a men's sort of opening up and kickstarting conversations. Mm. You know, it's just about the the dialogue. I mean. Obviously, you, you talk about having therapy when you were younger. Yeah, um, and you sort of you come you come back you come back to it now. Yeah. Um, what would you say to a man who was sort of umming and ahhing about taking that step to speak to someone in terms of in a therapeutic setting, for instance? I always thought um, with therapy, I wouldn't know what to say. You know, what do they want from me? What do, what do I have to say? Am I bad enough? You know, like is my story worthy enough? all this kind of stuff that I'd worry about with therapy. Or I'd be like, no one wants to listen to me bore them about my poor life, you know, whatever that is. You know, I'm like, get over yourself. When actually it's the opposite of that. Like it's just um, talking with somebody and finding the right relationship with somebody. That's what it is. It's about finding someone who you feel comfortable with. And that doesn't happen instantly. It can take a few sessions and can take a little while, but you'll get somewhere. And you'll get somewhere you didn't expect to. And before you know it, you're talking about things that actually really affect you. And um and you can you can find a new way of looking at them, which is what I've done, is I found different ways of these things which are these things which are secrets which I keep, you know, that um I remember when I first went to to rehab and people were talking openly in a in a circle of um, and we had a men's group and we sat down as as men and they were talking openly about feelings and what they felt and like how they reacted to things. I was like, whoa, 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 don't don't you don't say this out loud. They're gonna fucking lock you up, you know. Like I was like, if I say it, they're gonna they're gonna take me away. When actually, no, it's like everyone goes through this stuff, you know. Like most men feel these things, but we have ways of, I don't know. I think it's kind of like this. I describe it as a scaffolding we build up around ourselves, you know, from a very young age. Like boys don't cry, keep can't carry on, man up, all this kind of stuff that we kind of build up on ourselves that we pretend is us, and it kind of holds us up. And when you start peeling those things away, you kind of get to the the essence of the way you feel in a way. And that's and that's what I try to do, you know. And I still struggle with it. I still try to do that stuff on a daily basis, but sometimes it doesn't work. You know, sometimes I react differently, you know, but that's just life. But I'm very quick to notice it. And I'm very quick to say sorry. You, know. you talk about the scaffolding, which you've been, mm. which you erected around yourself. Mm. Um, obviously, presumably that scaffolding was erected during childhood. Yeah. You explore some of these themes in the documentary mm. about some of the, the difficulties you had growing up, you know, your yeah. parents divorced when you were, you were young, you had yeah. a stepfather come on the scene and you had a bit of a, a fraught relationship with him yeah what was it like exploring those themes in the documentary because you went back to your old um, yeah home, back, didn't you yeah yeah and i'm i mean the biggest impact i had with that was talking to my brother you know like my brother is um like he moved down with when he was 13 i was about just about 11 i think or just about to turn 11 and um we've never talked about anything you know like we've both been drunk and cried at each other a few times you know or got angry about the stuff that happened and like we then ignored it and like the next day moved on you know or said things that were like oh i shouldn't have said that you know but we've never actually talked especially as men you know about anything and that's something which i didn't think he was ever capable of doing and he was um that sounds really bad on him but that only because i've never experienced that with him 
you know. But when I did, he was so open and so, and and he'd had therapy and he'd been uh, talking to someone, and and that really blew my mind because I didn't know that. And um and he went to like marriage counseling and the counselor kind of said, I think we need to work, <laughs> you know. And he explored that stuff on himself, and he and he came to the same kind of conclusions that I wish I'd come to much earlier, you know, like and be, was able to heal some of that stuff and move forward. And he's he's amazing now. Like I talk to him, he's so open, you know. I mean, and it's um and I find that is what's so great about about actually talking is that is that when you do, you realize that you're not judged. You know, you're not you're not kind of like well, obviously you've got to find the right person to talk to, you know, a stranger in the pub probably isn't the right idea, but you know, like um, if you find someone that you can, and if that doesn't work, talk to someone else, you know, like there's always someone who's willing to listen, you know, and, um, and by doing that, you can really, you can really, and it's, I think that's the thing. Sometimes you, you think, and by talking, I don't want to burden someone with my problems, but that's not the way it goes. You know, it's like, by opening up, you can actually start to, start to think about it as you're talking and and they're not and if someone's not offering you loads of advice you can just talk and let it out and like before you know it you're talking about other stuff and you're kind of letting that out you know it, it just it just always helps it's very sad in some respects that it took so long for you and your brother to have mm. this conversation yeah you know and i think there was this really moving scene where where you talked to him about the guilt that both of you felt mm. when he went to live with your your, your, your dad and you stayed yeah. you stayed behind yeah what was it like having those having those conversations and realizing that you were actually very similar? It was it was huge because um I I never felt like he would feel that way and he didn't think that I would feel that way you know and we were both holding on to the same guilt for for different reasons but it's the same thing you know and it was actually just acknowledging that it was going ah oh, I love you I forgive you you know like, I, I never held anything against you. I don't have to forgive you because I never held anything against you I felt that. <laughs> You know, and so it was like, oh my God, I never, you know, like it was, it was such a, a relief and such a release to kind of let that go. You know, it was, um, it was a beautiful moment. I'm glad we got that on, on the camera as well because it was, um, it was, a, it was a small part of the conversation, but that stayed with me. That moment has stayed with me, you know, in the right way. You know? <laughs> That's good to hear. Yeah. That's good to hear. Yeah. Now, one of the themes um, underpinning the, underpinning the show was um, the tour and mm. um your relationship with touring which is really complicated yeah um and obviously you've got the tour coming up mm. this year big arenas yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all, most mostly all sold out it's amazing yeah um how are you feeling about that because it seemed to be this sort of underlying feeling that there was we were slightly nervous about what was to come yeah i mean I'm, I, it's it's a funny relationship i have with that because it's intoxicating you know for me you know, like them, uh, I feel very different to that guy who did all that stuff. You know, like when I say that stuff, like the guy who acted the way I acted in active addiction and kind of that kind of mat, I feel very different to that person. But that life is, is very enticing for that guy. You know, and uh, I think I'm, I'm talking about myself in the third person, which is very strange. But um, it, it it does worry me, you know, because I'm very easily like led and swayed, you know. But I have been beyond strong in what I will and will not do, 
you know, and what I'm willing to take and what I'm not willing to take, you know, and um, and I have very strict boundaries around me, and um, and I felt really awkward, kind of doing that at the beginning and going, look, I, I need this and I need that and I, I can't do this, I can't do that. And I was met with complete love, you know, which was the most incredible thing. I was like, absolutely, anything you need, we'll do anything you want, you know, um, because at the end of the day, it's like, it's a weird relationship in a band because you're not, you're not brothers, you're not friends, you're not colleagues, you're some combination of the three, you know, it's a really weird relationship, you know, and, um, um, but the and the root of it, there is love, you know, and it's weird to talk about that with the other two boys because I'm sure they wouldn't mention the same words as I would. But um, but there is, you know, and there's a love for each other, and we want each other to to be happy. And if that means not doing it, if that makes a person happy, then that's okay. But if we are going to do it, we have to make sure that um, well, I have to make sure that I'm safe and I'm 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 okay, and I have certain parameters that I have to meet every day, you know, and um. And they were more than accommodating. And we've got people we work with now. Like we've got a new management team, which was a big thing. And um, it's actually the, we're back with the management who first started the band with, okay. you know, so like who knew us when we were 16 years old, you know, so it's like, but with these guys, and they're like, it's all right, we know who you are. <laughs> you know, and we've always known this about you, Matt, <laughs> you know, like we're gonna make sure you're looked after and you're kind of, you know, so it's really, um, it feels much more easy and, um, and also, I, I I will not allow myself to to just disappear, you know, which has happened in the in the past. You know, like I've I've gone in, in the band has taken hold of me, and I've kind of let go of everything I had that kept me rooted. You know, whereas I don't do that anymore. I kind of keep myself as grounded as possible in who I am, and I'm not, and I don't lose that. Jimmy, you know I mean? what what were you like when you were unrooted? Well, I kind of um. The thing is, it's really hard because um, because sometimes the band has to take priority, right? And and that is, and everyone feels that like it's that like we press the busted button and everything becomes all hands on deck. Everything's about live, sleep, breathe, busted, you know. And it's like, and that has to happen because we have to put something that we're proud of and we we feel is good enough for the for the level that we're at, you know. And um, that takes a lot of work, but I sometimes forget about everything else and all i think about is that band you know like and it becomes just tunnel vision absolute tunnel vision and and it becomes the ultimate priority it's just is this that and that loses me you know i kind of lose myself in that mess you know and um and and so i have these things that i do on a daily basis which keep me clean sober and 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 feeling good about myself and so i um i will not let them go you know so i kind of um I keep them, and there's certain rules. We don't have drugs in the dressing room, little things like that, you know, because like, that was a, a bad idea for me, you know. And um, like, I don't That's care about it. It's a key rule. <laughs> it's a key rule for, for a drug addict. It's a really good idea not to have drugs around you, you know. So that's um, that, which is fine, you know. The, the boys are completely cool with that, and all our crew and everyone we work with are completely know the rules, and that that's fine, you know. So, so. I really admire your honesty when you talk about how that how that lifestyle is intoxicating. Yeah, you know what I mean, how you yeah. can get sort of swept away with it. Yeah, yeah, because it is me. That's the thing. Like, it isn't. It isn't like um, because I've kind of felt like it was like I've, I've talked about in the past as being Matt from Busted, and that's kind of a role that I play and the mask that I put on. Um, and that's true. Like, I did. I did find myself becoming this caricature of myself 
because it fitted in with that world and I felt comfortable when I was that guy in that world. And if it was me, I didn't like me very much. So I, I, I couldn't be me in any situation, especially not on a massive stage for the people or in a after party. And I was like, ah. The end of the day, Busted is the music, the, the, what the band means to people is me, you know, and it's me, it's me, James and Charlie, you know, but it's like, there's me in there too. And I kind of, so I need to have that part in there. So I can't completely remove myself and be like an actor that comes in and just plays a role and comes out, you know, but, um, but I can't let it completely consume me. Mm. Yeah. What I thought was quite interesting was you talked about your dividers, which you have on tour. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. You, you were all about the, the protein powders and the protein bars yeah, and yeah, the yeah. sweetness and health. Yeah, yeah. James was about Mbongo drinks and yeah, yeah, yeah. sweets and things. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah. it's quite interesting because Charlie, he had lots of wine on his rider. Yeah, I yeah. just suddenly thought, how do you feel about, about that in terms of being in a situation where there is wine around? How do you sort of manage, how do you manage that? I haven't, like... You know, I haven't thought about having a drink in over 10 years. You know, like I, I haven't had a drink in 13 years now. It doesn't really ever enter my head. Like that's something which I put to bed a long time ago. And day by day, I'm very grateful that I don't drink anymore. You know, so it doesn't really ever really enter my head, the thought of picking up a drink. But um, uh, something about the mind-altering state of drugs, which which still triggers me and makes me feel because it's so instant it's like uh you know so like and it puts me on edge you know and i can't be around it or can't be around anyone that's on them you know i kind of find that really um too hard you know so um, i haven't worked enough on that to be able to be around it you know but i don't think i need to be you know i don't need to be in a room with people taking cocaine you know i don't need to do that so like um that's and that, i think that's completely reasonable you know whereas Drink is part of our culture and it's just part of what everyday normal people do, you know, which is fine. You know, it doesn't really bother me. But, um, but yeah, so I don't really have a problem with people drinking. You know, I go to parties and bars and things occasionally. I don't have a great time, but I go, mm. you know. You talked about how you now you're um, speaking more of Emma about, about what happened previously and mm. ways in which you can sort of navigate the future together. Um, is she worried about the tour coming up has she articulated any concerns to you obviously we're yeah. a few months away yeah she has you know she's um she you know understandably that has been a, a moment of relapse for me again and again and again you know so there's always and 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 our life is really great you know it's like why would you put yourself in a dangerous situation which a lot of people say to me matt why do you put yourself in a dangerous situation and it and and it's because I love it, you know, and I, and I, and I, I really do, you know, and I feel, um, I feel passionate about it and I'm, and I am capable of doing that clean and sober. I am, you know, and I'm going to work as hard as I possibly can to show everybody that I am capable of doing that clean and sober and not picking up, you know, and Emma understandably worries about that, you know, but, um, but I think she, she can see the work that I put in. You know, she can see where I am, see how open I am with everything. And, you know, like, um, I'm, I'm the first person to tell her anything, you know, so, um, and she sometimes, like, oh God, you don't have to, <laughs> you know, but I'm, I'm sorry, I, you know, so uh, it's, it's, it's just, it's just in me, I think, you know, so it's, um, she can see that. And I think she's, she's worrying less, 
you know, but my family are going to be on loads of the tour. They're going to come on loads of it. Oh, excellent. You know, so they're going to come most weekends. I'll be meeting up with me wherever I am. I mean, it's quite a long tour. We've got 27 dates. So I think we've gone for about seven weeks, but then we'll, um, we'll, I'll be meeting up with them whenever I can. And me and Emma are doing, um, great stuff at the moment. And it's just, um, and it's, um, I'm, I'm with her as much as I can. And I'm happy when I'm there, you know, so I think that's, that's going to carry on. You say you seem in a really a really good place. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, a, that's a, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think we kind of um, we understand each other more than ever. You know, and it's like it's it's weird. It's like it's like in a relationship. Like I always felt kind of lucky to be there. Do you know what I mean like I still do? You know, I still feel very grateful, very lucky to be in that relationship. Don't get me wrong, but I always felt like I was hanging on for dear life. You know, like for so many years, and like kind of um whereas now it's a two-way partnership and it's like it's like i support her she supports me and we both get shit done you know it's like that's kind of the way it feels now and um and the the kids are the number one priority in our life you know so, so that kind of takes over with everything else but well, i can imagine yeah I can imagine yeah um i was going to ask you about obviously you were very young when busted started yeah um, you're in your teens into early 20s and in the pictures, you know, you you look so young, and, mm. and and behind 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 the pictures, you are obviously suffering heavily in, in, inside. And you're obviously yeah. to rehab when you when you're, when you're 21, I think. 21, yeah. 21. Um, I mean, looking back on it, um, this is quite an interesting question. Do you think there should have been more help, more mental health provision, more people looking out for you in some respects? Because it's difficult when you're so young and you're suddenly sort of thrown into that environment is it yeah i think you're right i think there is um um but there's no blame in my in my in my story for anybody but there is um i see other very young artists and acts in the music industry and i just hope that people are there kind of looking out for them you know a few people spring to mind right now and um i'm just like is someone there you know can i go <laughs> you know because um you know it's um it's a it's a very it's very easy to kind of go, oh, poor pop star, you know how, you know, but it's a, it, it's such a weird environment, such a strange life change. I don't think anyone can really understand until they've experienced it, what happens, because you're, you're suddenly in a, if, if you're in a everyday life, you know, you're suddenly transported into something which is completely different and you no longer can relate to anybody you have related with in your entire life. You know, like you, you can't, you can no longer, your life doesn't relate to your parents' life. Your life doesn't relate to your friends at home's life. Your life doesn't relate to the people you love, you know, and it's, um, and so in some ways I always felt either show offy if I talked about anything or that I would just be completely misunderstood what you're talking about it's amazing keep going you know what you, you know that kind of thing you know so it's um it's a really hard hard thing to understand and um and i think that's why a lot of people go off the rails when they hit a certain age where they've been in this in that kind of world for a few years because it's you you have no one to really relate to or to talk to about what you're going through and um and there's a lot of people earning a lot of money from you you know so no one wants to let you get off the train mm. you know which is um which is very very problematic isn't yeah it? very problematic you know because um because there's like 
yeah, we're going to deal with that, but in eight months' time, because you've got a tour and you've got an album release and you've got this. I know this is going on right now, but just put it, nip it in the bud because we'll we'll deal with that. But by the time that eight months has gone, you've got another tour and another thing, and there's already things arranged. You know, we had diaries for three years in advance. You know, so it's kind of like it's um it's a very weird thing to go. When is the right time to to help? You know, and I think the right time is from the beginning. You know, to kind of always have someone who they can talk to, who they can open up with, who can kind of help them, you know. Did you have anyone to talk to? Your bandmates? Did you talk to them about your home? No, I didn't. I kept that to myself. You know, I never really talked to them about anything. You know, I never really talked to anybody, really. I kind of just kept everything to myself, you know, which was was not the right move. But I didn't want to, I didn't want to rock the boat as well. You know, I was was struggling for so many years, but I kind of didn't want to ever let on because I didn't want anyone to think I wasn't coping, coping, you know, and and for it to be taken away, you know, because I knew how important it was and how important it was for everybody, you know, and I kind of felt this pressure to kind of keep a face on and kind of, you know, however, like if you talk to anybody who was around in those days, I was the last on the bed, first one on the bus. You know, I was always the, I was always like really kind of trying to prove that I was okay you know, when I was the one who was falling to pieces, but on the front, I was like, yep, great, be there, you know, like everything, but, um, but then panicking and filled with anxiety and fear, you know, so it's a really, um, it's a really... Lots of take on board when you're that age. Yeah, and especially when you don't understand anything, you don't, and you'd never talked about your feelings or understood anything about mental health or any, or any kind of aspect of that, you know, and, um, and you know, I always think of it as like, like, People used to say, like, giving up drinking and the thought of that being, like, that was what used to bother me, giving up. I was like, I, was like, I don't give up. You know, I want to fight, you know, like, um, when actually it's not giving up, it's giving in. It's surrendering. It's going, I am struggling and I surrender and I, I, I give in. I can't do this anymore. I need some help. And that is the most empowering thing you can do. And you'll be you'll you will find that people will support you and people will love you and people will will really stand by you with those decisions once you once you give in that facade once you give in that that um the the fight till the death with something that is going to kill you you know once you it's surrender it's not it's not it's not failure <laughs> you know it's actually it's surrender and move forward, you know, and it's um, it's a beautiful thing, you know. And you've you've learned, learned some really interesting guests for your podcast. Yeah. Um, Dougie Pointer from McFly is your first Yeah, he's our first guest. First guest. Yeah. What was it like yeah. talking to him? It was amazing. I mean, I've known Dougie since he was 15. Uh, I met him when he first auditioned for McFly and he was like this, I couldn't believe that there was this little kid. Like, I thought I was young, but this was like, he was at school, like really young. <laughs> and he looked really super young. And um, and I saw him, you know, I wasn't really, it's funny because in the early McFly days, I wasn't allowed around them. Like we were the same management and um, and my manager kept me as far away from those boys so, as right, possible. Really? Like James was very heavily involved with them and I was kept as far away from them as possible. I was also like, why aren't I going to that? Then why am I? I'm like, oh, because I'm a bad influence and a wreckhead and they're gonna keep, they want to keep these boys clear of me, you know? But, um, and then once I got clean and, and sober, I kind of, um, 
I noticed little things. I saw little things, and we became friends. And I kind of um, and um, and we talked, and we became incredible friends. You know, and um, we've seen each other at our worst. Me and Dougie, that we've both been in active addiction together, and we've both been clean together. You know, and we've seen each other through those times. And it's a two way street between me and him. Like it's not like um, I save him and or he saves me it's like a two-way thing like it's and that's the beauty of recovery in a way is that 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 happens between people you know and um but he's never talked about it in a public public space because he had the same experience as me in the beginnings whenever he did he regretted it you know or it caused harm to people he loved or you know he felt ashamed of of that stuff so he kept it very hidden and um and i think that's part of the problem is the shame and stigma around addiction causes more shame and stigma around addiction. Once you go, once you, you know, shame fades when you show it to the light, you know, and I really feel that really strongly. You know, I've only experienced nothing but remarkable breakthroughs when I've kind of been open and honest. And, and Dougie was so open and honest and said things in a way that I could never communicate. You know, he's just, um, he's just got a way of talking which is so innocent but poetic in the most raw form of poetry. Like he's just a really amazing guy. And he'll say things that people really resonate with and people get a lot from. And there's, there's, um, I'm always about what's an actionable tool, you know, because like I found that with some therapy sessions I go to at the beginning, I'm like, I'm talking, what am I getting from this? What am I, what can I do now? What, what can I, how can I stop using, <laughs> you know, what can I do? Like, um, I don't want to get money to pray every five minutes. You know, what do I do now? You know, I really want to take drugs. You know, I really want to do this. And I think that's, um, and it's really, um, or I just want to stop feeling the way I feel. How can I change my, um, my repetitive thought patterns? How can I stop ruminating on this thought? You know, and there are actionable tools for that. There are things that work for people. They might not work for you, but they might maybe give them a go. If they don't work, try something else you know and there's lots of things out there and i think that's what um what from the dougie episode we get we get some actionable tools we get some things that he does you know things that he learned in in therapy and rehab and things like that and things that he still does now and um and i learned loads from it so i'm sure everyone else will you've obviously been through so much therapy before and stuff mm. like that but you're still willing to learn and and draw upon other, other people's experiences and find these extra tools yeah toolbox. yeah i mean it's, it's a thing Never like stop um, learning do you no and i don't think you know i was always looking to be recovered you know i always really wanted that like even in the documentary i talk about that will i ever be recovered i don't think i ever will and i don't really feel like i need to be you know i just need to keep putting the work in everything happens from action right if you sit around and wish your life was different it's not going to be different but if you make one little move towards it being different it might not seem very big but before long those things add up and you start you go, oh, i've been sober today oh, i've been sober a week oh, i've been sober a month you know and that that builds up kind of a confidence and a gravitas in your in your recovery and before you know it you're you're just keeping on that road you know and i don't think anything we shouldn't be afraid to to explore you know different parameters of of things that help you you know, I try different things all the time, it drives me mad. You know, I'm constantly like 
getting a new device or getting some new thing or find or do a new course that I'm doing online or something just to kind of like um or a new web journaling or something you know that kind of, I find it all fascinating and it all serves me maybe I put it down after a while and I try something else but at the time it's always beneficial which is fascinating mm. and we, we spoke before the podcast about some of your aspirations and one of those is to um, open up a potentially open up a rehab centre something you're yeah. ex- something you're exploring yeah a little, little bit about that I think the one thing we weren't allowed to show not weren't allowed to show in the documentary was too messy to show in the documentary was everywhere we went it was the elephant in the room was funding like this is a great organisation this is brilliant why isn't this everywhere you know why isn't that why isn't it bigger why are why why has it got no money? You know, why is why is nothing? You know, we went to this um, uh, a place at um, uh, a detox unit in London, which is the only NHS detox unit in London. So it's and and people that are, you know, physically addicted to either alcohol or opiates, they have to be medically detoxed from that because you like whenever I tried to stop drinking. I would have seizures and and I would fit and like throw up and I would, you know, it was a really bad thing. So I had to be medically detoxed from alcohol, otherwise I would have died. And um and that is a, was a really important part of my early recovery. And so this detox unit is the only detox unit within the M25. So that's thirty two boroughs, and they have eleven beds. Oh my god, really? Eleven beds, like Staggering. and it's. It's unbelievable. And I'm like, these people are doing life-saving, life-changing work for not only the people in the beds, but the people around them. And like, you know, I think five beds are for for rough sleepers and, and uh, no, six beds for rough sleepers and five are for not, you know, like, and if you look at that thing, if you look at that statistic, how are you ever gonna help the people that are really struggling without being able to afford to help them? You know, so there is, um, there is a lack of funding, you know, and, and rehab spaces are sparse, you know, so to find some way of forming a rehab that isn't a minimum of £7,000 for 28 days, because what drug addict has £7,000, what alcoholic has £7,000, you know, and they've probably used up every get-out-of-jail-free card with everybody they love, they can't get that that funding, you know, so it's, um, and, you know, I was very fortunate and very lucky to be able to get into rehabs, but, and it changed my life, you know, and, um, I'm, I don't, I'm not saying that everyone needs rehab. People can do it without rehab. And there's lots of amazing things online, lots of free stuff that you can do that will help you. But some people, I think, do need to be removed from society and do need to go through this process. And there isn't enough funding. There isn't enough spaces for them. And the places that they are are minimal and they're overcrowded and underfunded. So I'm like, how can we find some way of getting somewhere that we can send people that will be free and a safe place for them to start their recovery journey. On that note, Matt, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to Mate, you. Thank you so thank much for having me. So, really so illuminating. And I Thanks, can't man. I can't stress enough to people that they really need to watch this um, your documentary. Thanks, it's just mate. it's the most one of the most powerful, impactful and sort of moving pieces of TV I've seen for a very long time. Thanks, Matt. I really appreciate it's it. Lovely to have you. Thanks. Thank you so much. You can find me on Twitter at Miratom. And if you like what you've heard, rate us wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to get new episodes automatically. Thanks for listening.